me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Next week we will be back in our uh, study in uh, the book of Acts. But this morning you just saw the baptism of these three precious children. There are people who take views of those children spiritually and children like them that I would say are on kind of two different ends of things and neither of which which we view them, but one view would be that the infants, if, if something were to happen to them and they weren't baptized, that they could not go to heaven. It's an awful thing to think of. But that would be one particular view. Perhaps on the other end of the spectrum would be the view that no one should be baptized until They can uh, make a credible, audible profession of faith. Now, it's interesting that uh, even those who would view that end of things in terms of these children, most churches that teach that also will have what is called an infant dedication service. It's my contention, because we don't see a dedication service uh, like that in Scripture, commanded anywhere, or uh, certainly by example in terms of what God's people ought to do. But it's my contention that the reason they do that is because of the, the good intention of the parents and that is that they want what's best for their children, and they know that somehow our children are included in these promises, and so they have put together a service to acknowledge those good and right motivations of the parents. Today in our passage, we are going to see some parents with what I would think are good motivations for their children. Mothers and fathers, loving mothers and fathers, always want what's best for their children in every way, but certainly in the spiritual realm. We read in Luke 18, it says, Now they were bringing even infants to him, verse 15, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. 
Oh Lord, how we thank you for your word that addresses all of those things that are most essential for us. And you have shown us, you, Lord Jesus, have shown us your view of the children. Will you enable us today to learn from this passage that was preserved for us to read and to study today? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what we see, as, as I mentioned in this uh, brief passage, is uh, the desire of the parents to uh, bring their child to Jesus. Look, look at what was taking place here. Jesus, as always, had been doing a great deal of teaching. He uh, generally taught to uh, those who would follow him, certainly most of the time to adults, but also to mixed crowds because, uh, you know, in that day it wasn't as though uh, parents would leave their kids at home with a babysitter or, or that kind of a thing. And so surely there, there were uh, usually uh, mixed ages in the crowds. So what takes place is that uh, uh, Jesus and the Twelve, they're traveling toward Jerusalem and some little children are brought to Jesus. Now, the word here, the word that's used for uh, little children is a word that uh, indicates these were, these were little children. These were children that were probably still nursing. And so, it, you know, as opposed to the children being sent to him, they were literally brought to him. And so, um, you know, even with that, let's face it, I, I told you I think these are parents with good intentions, but you never know. There could have been a, a wrong motivation by the parents to, uh, to bring the children there. Maybe uh, the parents had a, a wrong view of what Jesus would do. Maybe they had somewhat of a, a magical view. But what we see is that Jesus doesn't penalize the children even if the parents have a wrong view. There are some parents that take their children to Sunday school. There are some that would uh, take them on a Wednesday night or maybe a uh, vacation Bible school, and they might have a wrong motive. They may say, uh, you know, that's fine. You can, you can babysit my child, get them out of my hair for a little while. That would not be totally unheard of or totally uncommon. In, in a, a previous church that I served, back in the day when they had bus ministries, uh, we, we sent out a number of buses to uh, uh, the town where our church was and even the small towns around. And, uh, you know, we knew. We knew. That was also in a day where you could, you know, send your children uh, with trustworthy people and not be quite as afraid as most would be today. 
But we knew that there were parents that uh, really were just trying to get them out of their, their hair. And occasionally, this is what I would hear from members of the church. Not very often, but occasionally. And this is almost a direct quote. We don't need to be babysitting those snot-nosed kids. Their parents are just trying to get rid of them. Now, here's the fact. Both of those statements were true. A lot of the kids were snot-nosed. <laughs> <laughs> but they were snot-nosed because their parents didn't care enough to clean them up. And it was also true that the parents were just trying to get rid of them for a few hours. We'd pick them up before Sunday school, take them back after church. So it'd be several hours on a Sunday morning. What a great thing for those parents. And we knew that. But our view is, it's okay. We will take your children and we will love them and we will tell them about Jesus and we will treat them the way Jesus treated the children and at least for those few hours, they're going to be in a safe place where they are loved and they're hearing the Word of God. That was our, our view. And it was because we were convinced that that was Jesus' view of the children. And that's how we look at children here. I've never heard anyone say anything about snot-nosed kids, don't worry. But that's how we view our children here as well in terms of our desire to tell them about Jesus, to teach them the Word of God, to love them as we would our own children when they're here. Now, look at this. They, they, they brought him for a, a touch from Jesus. It says, uh, verse 15, now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. What was the point there? Well, any of them that had followed him at all or even heard about Jesus knew what kinds of things the touch of Jesus did for people. The touch opened blind eyes. The touch made ears that couldn't hear to be able to hear. The touch got people up that had never walked before. And they picked up their own mat. The touch raised people from the dead. Why would we not want the Lord Jesus to touch our child? So presumably, the, the parent or other relatives brought the child for Jesus to place his hands on them and ask for the Father's blessing during that time. And we're going to see in a minute how Jesus viewed that. But first notice what, we, what I'm, I've called here the underestimation by the disciples concerning the souls of children. I am convinced that, that they totally underestimated uh, what God can do in terms of the life of a child. Uh, look at the second part of verse 15. It says, and when the disciples saw it, that is uh, the bringing of the children, they rebuked them. 
Now, who is being rebuked here? The parents. The parents are, are being rebuked. What we're seeing is basically the disciples' ignorance. I'm pretty sure that the disciples weren't child haters. <laughs> now, I, don't, I guess I don't have much to base that on, but I, I doubt that that was the case. I don't think it was, we hate kids, get these kids out of here. I I'm, would think rather that what we have here is the disciples saying, look, Jesus, everything he says is so important. When he, when he teaches, it's so important. It's the words of life. It's life-giving. And we don't want these little kids to stop him from teaching those important things. And so they're trying to keep them from bothering Jesus. As I mentioned in my introduction, there, there's few things that bring as much difference of opinion as the, the subject of the souls of children. Uh, as I said, some think that children ought to be baptized as a matter of course, just in case something happens to them. Let's get them baptized. I've heard that. Let, you know, I've heard parents say, let's hurry up. Uh, you know, I don't think anything will happen, but, but just in case. You know, the implication there is that if they die unbaptized, they can't be saved. Well, here's the problem with that. That's implying that it's salvation by baptism. And not only is it salvation by baptism would be salvation by works, but beyond that, it's somebody else's works. It's not even the work of the one who's being baptized. So that's not biblical. Others think children shouldn't be baptized usually say a profession of faith is required, as we talked about earlier. Some think all children are regenerate by virtue of their baptism. Others seem to think that children are incapable of receiving any grace or blessing, and they shouldn't be enrolled in the church till they grow up. There's some parents that say, you know what, I'm I'm not going to bring them to church because I, I want them to make their own decision. Well, the problem with that is you're making a decision for them. But, you know, parents don't do that in any other area. You know, we'll go to the restaurant today. I'll let them make their own decision what they're going to order. It's right to the dessert menu. You know that. Let them make their own decision about school. You know, he can, when he gets old enough, then he can decide if he wants to go to school or not. We don't do that. And, and the Scripture from the very beginning, way back in Deuteronomy, it says we are to impress upon our children those holy truths. Look up Deuteronomy 6.5 at some point. So, you know, that would be the only area where we let them decide what's good for them if we do it there. 
Some think all children are naturally innocent and they don't have any wickedness unless they learn it from somebody else. Although you ask a young mother in the middle of the night before they've had time to learn any wickedness from anyone else, and most young mothers will say, yes, I'm, I'm convinced they're born a sinner. I'm convinced. <laughs> I see it right here. Others think it's no use to expect them to be converted when they're young, and therefore they treat them as unbelievers until the years of discretion. Now, all of those views can lead to some painful mistakes and errors. So what, what is our understanding of the biblical view of the condition of the children? I want to very quickly give you four, four things. The souls of children are precious in God's sight. I'm not sure anyone would really disagree with that. But both in this passage and elsewhere, there's plain proof that Christ cares for them no less than he does for grown-up people. Now, in our day, when children can too often become idols in a family, we might say, well, yeah, of course they're precious. But we need to understand that when, when Jesus made it clear to bring those children, that's in a day where, where children were absolutely disposable, where children weren't idolized. They were property to be kept or disposed of as the parents saw fit. So for, for him to say, look, I, I'm actually going to reverse this on you. Not only do you bring the children to me, but you need to receive the kingdom like these little children. They're the ones you are to look at if you want to understand about the kingdom of God and receiving it. The souls of children are precious in God's sight. Secondly, the souls of young children are capable of receiving grace. I am convinced of that. Way back in Psalm 51, it says this, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, it's not saying that the act of conception was a, a sin, but rather from the moment of conception, from that moment on, I was a sinner. Well, if you are a sinner from that moment, then that means you have a soul. Are we to say that God cannot work in the soul of one who is lost from the moment of conception? Are you saying a very small child can be a believer? That's what I'm saying. A very small child can be a believer. Now, hear me. They, they can't understand the Trinity. Can you? They can't understand all about God's sovereignty and man's free will. They can't understand everything about heaven 
or hell, eternal bliss or eternal condemnation. They cannot understand all of those things. Who of us does? What if we all had to understand those before we could be saved? But that's not the case. They won't understand all of those things. But I will say this. If you don't believe they have the capacity to love Jesus, to love the Heavenly Father from the various, very, very youngest of age, then you better wonder whether they have the capacity to love you from that youngest of age. And I don't know any parent that disputes that. So, yes, they can love Jesus from the youngest of age. You know, I, I love hearing testimonies of God's transforming power in a life that was totally going a, a wrong direction and, and God turns them around and brings them back to Himself. I love hearing those testimonies. Thanks be to God when we hear those. I love, and I think it is glorious when I hear a testimony from a covenant child that says, I can't remember a time when I didn't love Jesus. Thanks be to God when we hear those testimonies among us. We should hear them more often. Further, number three, the baptism of young children is agreeable with the attitude of Christ and the Scripture. There's nothing in the Scripture or the attitude of Christ that would say, no, no, children ought not to be included here. In the Old Testament, the sign of the covenant was circumcision. In the New Testament, the sign of the covenant is baptism. If Jewish children were not too young to be circumcised in the Old Testament and receive the sign of the covenant, why would our children be too young to receive the sign of the covenant and that being baptism? In the Old Testament, we must be quick to say and acknowledge because of physical limitations, only the, only the male received the sign, which was circumcision. So why in the New Testament could baptism be parallel to that? Well, because the New Covenant is, is better, it says. And so now, rather than less people being invited to receive the sign, in other words, a father and his sons, there are more who can receive it. In the New Testament, it says now, there's no longer Jew nor, Jew nor Greek, barbarian or Scythian, male nor female. And so it's a sign that all can receive. And it's given to more. That's why it's a better covenant. And then fourthly, the souls of children are capable of salvation no matter how young. Those who refuse to baptize infants but believe that all who die before a, a certain age go to heaven have to cope with what I, I see at least as a giant inconsistency. Either the Scripture is inconsistent because some can be saved without God's spiritual regeneration of their hearts. In other words, if they say before some age of discretion, everybody will be saved and 
you know, they, you know, they don't have to, there's nothing that has to go on there. God will take them to heaven immediately. Or their belief system rules out God spiritually working in those young children is consistent, inconsistent. We do not believe that God's work depends on our capacity to come forward. His work does not depend upon our capacity to say a sinner's prayer. What about those who mentally would be incapable of comprehending that? Would we say God cannot work in their heart and that they can love Jesus and be with us in heaven? Of course we'd say that. Absolutely. God's work depends on God alone. Thanks be to God for that. Several applications. First of all, to the parents. Because of all these things that I've said, evangelize your children. Try to lead them to Christ as early as possible. I know you're already talking to them about Jesus. I know that. But never underestimate their capacity to love Jesus, even at the very youngest of ages. That's not just for these parents, for all of you parents. For us as church members, and some of you are in all these categories, you've undertaken the responsibility of assisting the parents in the Christian nurture of these children. That was a vow before God. That's serious, folks. So what's it mean? Well, you start with praying. You've got the names of these three babies. Take those names home with you. Get to know the names of other children. You know what? After, after church, when you introduce yourself, when I say everybody, you know, introduce yourself to each other and welcome one another, especially if there's somebody you don't recognize, I, I, I don't want you just looking over the head of all the little kids. I want you to introduce yourself and get the child's name. What would it mean to children that walk into this building every week to have adults, ones they don't, can't even remember who they are, but to have them call them by name? Sally, I'm glad to see you here. That's what family does. And so get to know those children. And then work. Because of that vow, because of that vow, we should never have a shortage of workers in the nursery, in Sunday school, on Wednesday night, on Sunday night at vacation Bible school. And by the way, I'm not rebuking you. Last year at vacation Bible school, we had more workers than we could use. But I'm just reminding you, that's how it ought to be in a church that takes this vow seriously. And there's another uh, application real soon, and that's Wednesday night, the children's music program in the Great Hall. You might say, well, I don't have any kids any, you know, anymore, or my kids aren't in that, or whatever. Wait a minute, you just took a vow. 
And you've taken other vows concerning many of these children up here. I would love to see that great hall full of people saying, those are our kids. Just like you'd be there if it was your grandchild or your own child. Because it is. Those are our nieces and nephews and and cousins this Wednesday. And then for all of us. We must never treat children as if one day they will have eternal value, but as ones who have eternal value today. That's how we must treat our children. We must treat them and train them as if today were their last day or ours. That's how we should treat our children here. We live in a world where born and unborn children are treated as if they're an inconvenience to be dealt with. One leader in our country actually said out loud, if one of my daughters made a mistake and got pregnant, I don't want her punished with a baby. Since when does a child that in the Word of God is called a gift become punishment? May it never be spoken or even a thought in this place pertaining to our children. We live in a world that destroys their children. Let's fill it with covenant children. And let's teach them about the love of Jesus. Let's bow together. You have called us, Lord, to nurture these children in the Lord. And, and we, I, I think everyone in this room said, we're going to help. So, Lord, will you not let us forget that we've taken that vow? On this Mother's Day, we we thank you for the children you have given to us. Will you give us more from within, from outside? Will you give us more and then enable us to treat them as our own? Lord, we need your grace and your love to do that, and we pray for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Our response this morning is hymn number 189. Please stand to sing, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know.